Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by The Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. Additional information about The Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Okay, everybody, Psalm 26. Psalm 26. So let's see, there's 150 Psalms. Man, we're getting there. We've finished one-sixth of them. And Psalm 53 is the same as Psalm 14, so we're actually one ahead. And uh, I'm not going to take weeks in Psalm 119 when we get there, so we'll figure it out. But it's kind of nice to just take a little time and go through the Psalms, and uh, you always know what to speak on next. And I hope, like you, uh, any time in the Psalms, uh, Psalms is a book that when I was younger, uh, I didn't want to spend a lot of time in. I talk to young people and they're like, I just don't get it. I, I, you know, but boy, as we grow, we love the Psalms, don't we? Because uh, we see the struggle of faith. We know God is real and we love him. Uh, but we also, uh, why in the world, you know, uh, do evil things prosper? And, you know, uh, how come it, how long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? And so, so many of the Psalms give voices to our highs and voices to our lows. And I believe that the more time you're in the Word, the Word forms your own prayers to the Lord, and it helps you have more of a dialogue with the Lord rather than uh, a read your Bible time over here and a pray through your prayer list time over here. I, I believe those that have the most energizing time with the Lord and have that sense of relationship growth in Him are those that find a way to incorporate God speaking to them through the Word and interact with that as they pray back to the Lord. And I think David had that kind of prayer life. I think he models it for us. So Psalm 26, it's 12 verses. It's another Psalm of David, as many of the uh, book one, the one through 41 uh, Psalms are. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord, I shall not slip. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. For your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. <laughs> I love that verse. Psalm 26.3, two of my favorite words there together again. Your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. Verse 4, I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites. I have hated the assembly of evildoers, and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocence, so that I will go about your altar, O Lord that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. That's a pretty good one too, isn't it? I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not gather my soul with sinners nor my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands is a sinister scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in my integrity Redeem me and be merciful to me. My foot stands in an even place. In the congregations I will bless the Lord. Well, sometimes it's not uh, easy to uh, exactly classify each psalm. There's several highs and lows even in this little psalm that we're at here. But Psalm 26 is considered one of the psalms of lament. Uh, David is again lamenting some kind of situation that he's in. He wants a hearing with God. He wants for God to vindicate him. So Psalm of Laments, your first fill in the blank. But then in verses 1 and 2, we see David asked God to vindicate him in this situation. So he uses four imperative verbs to appeal for justice in verses 1 and 2. 
vindicate me, examine me, prove me, try my mind and my heart. So he's like, okay, God, it's okay to put me on trial because I think in this matter... Uh, I, I have not sinned. Um, I think about Job. Job knew that he was a sinner, but he also knew that he couldn't figure any reason out for the things that had befallen him. And we know the rest of the story from Job 1. It wasn't because Job was one of uh, on God's hit list or anything. He was one of God's favorites that he was experiencing those things. And we look around the room and say, well, I hope I'm not one of God's favorites if that's the case, you know, because um, things are hard like that. But there's, there's, as mortals, there's information we don't have. And there's a lot of humility in what David says in verses 1 and 2. He, he's basically saying, Lord, I'm putting my case before you, so I'm asking you, vindicate, examine, prove, try my mind and heart. Verse 1, vindicate me, O Lord, for I've walked in my integrity. I've also trusted in the Lord, I shall not slip. So he's not claiming to be without sin. He's claiming not to have done what he's being accused of. And sometimes we uh, are running around the scriptures and we come to a Psalm 1 like this and we say, well, he's saying he's saved by his works or he's wanting to be blessed because he's doing all the right things and stuff like that and, and isn't acknowledging that he's a sinner and nothing could be further from the truth. We've got one Psalm probably dealing with a specific situation David was facing and he knows that he can't make a connection with uh, why bad things are happening in the midst of uh, this situation. I wonder, have you ever had a conflict with someone and they accused you of something you haven't done? <laughs> oh man, yeah, we all have, haven't we? That's not fair. I didn't do it, you know? And you know, you can tell your hairdresser and your barber and all your friends and your family, I haven't done it. They think I did something I didn't do and we're having this conflict and stuff. And usually we just waste a lot of breath when we do that because sometimes people are still convinced you did it, you know. And uh, David um, has obviously had something here that he is not guilty of, but others are saying he's guilty of. I wonder, have, you ever, has, have people ever gossiped, gossiped about you in a way that wasn't true? Uh, you know, uh, I know we do toward all kinds of things, right? Uh, we, uh, I mean, sometimes, well, I'll give you an example. Today, um, of just pressure, pressure for those in the public eye, right? And David's a figure that was in the public eye. If you're a Sunday school class teacher, you're in the public eye some. Uh, if you're a um, pastor, you're in a lot of the public eye. If you're a politician, of course, those, guys, those birds bring it on themselves, but they are. I was watching a soccer game today, and one of the best goalkeepers in the world is slipping a little bit as he gets older. And he made a terrible mistake and led in a goal, and his team needed a win or a tie. They didn't need a loss and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, he's just going to be roasted in, in the media, you know. And he made a mistake, and people make mistakes, right? But, you know, conflicts and gossip and those things, the average citizen can go to the person and try to work it out. So you think about this. Um, if you know that somebody has said something about you, what would Jesus tell us to do? Go to them one-on-one. -on -one. It says if your brother sinned against you, go to them one-on-one, -on -one, talk about it, and try to work it out, you know. Um, but David's the king of a nation with hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people in it. And there are things people were saying about specific situations. They may be true. They may not be true. Um, who can he go to? Can he go to every person and try to unring the bell as people are uh, ringing it and saying things out there? Hey, I've, I've been a pastor of hundreds and dozens and youth pastor and things like that before. And sometimes I just scratch my head when I'm talking to somebody and think, why, did I, why am I having this misunderstanding with them? And I go, oh, five years ago, 
somebody said something that wasn't true about my motivations or something, I went to them at the time and worked it out, but I didn't get to them before they had talked to everybody they knew. And this person I'm talking to now is still operating on that misunderstanding from back then, and I'm still being looked at sideways by this person over here for something I worked out with the person over here all that time ago. And, uh, you know, that's part of it. That goes with the territory, doesn't it? You know, you're, you're a coach, you're a, a teacher. Caleb knows about this from being a coach. I know about it from being a coach. You know, when I was coaching at Waynesboro High School, I looked behind me, uh, coaching the soccer team there, the JV soccer team. I looked around me, and there's six coaches up there from all the travel teams just, you know, having roast Danny, you know, because <laughs> they didn't agree with this decision or that decision. So criticism, conflict, gossip, it goes along with it. Uh, David didn't hire a press agent, <laughs> like some politicians do, try to change the narrative, you know. He went to the Lord with it. Lord, they're saying things, and it's just not fair. And if I take all the time to try to unravel it with every person, I can't go on leading and stuff, you know. And that's just part of the uh, problems a leader like David would have. So in, when we think about the Psalms, we're not just thinking about this personally. It also has dynamics for the misunderstood leader, the leader doing this, the leader doing that. And sometimes all you can do is take it to the Lord. David acknowledges that since he trusts in the Lord, he will not slip. That's the second part there of verse 1. So he says, Lord, vindicate me because I, I really uh, have walked in my integrity related to this matter. I've also trusted the Lord and I will not slip. So the word slip in verse 1, it's only used seven times in the Hebrew Old Testament. And it's such an interesting little word because it means to shake or to totter. <laughs> so let's do it that way. Verse 1. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not get all shaky. And that's your fill in the blank there. David says, since I trust in you, Lord, I don't need to be all shaky about this. You ever been shaky about something? You're like, oh, no, i gotta, I got to uh, make sure they, they like me or make sure they understand me or th th this, that, and the other. And you just get all anxious and you're kind of shaking. And is it going to work out, you know, or, you know, what, what am I going to do in this situation? And David's like, listen, Lord, I just got to come to you. You know, Nehemiah said, you know, I'm not going to come down off the wall. We got this building project going. I'm not going to come down off the wall to take care of all the individual critics and those that are slandering this way. You just got to keep going. And David says, as the leader, I, I trust in you, Lord. I don't need to be all shaky about this. Verse 2, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and try my heart. So those kind of are synonyms, synonyms aren't they? <laughs> uh, that's a hard one to say, synonym. Um, so examine and try are both synonyms there. Um, the first word, examine, kind of makes us think of gold purified in the fire. So uh, he's a little less more like a trial here now, and he's kind of thinking in terms of, uh, man, Lord, you allow trials to come my way. You allow me to face difficult situations, and they're part of proving my mettle and character for the next things you have for me. And so examine me, Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. The, so the first thing makes us think of gold purified in fire, that kind of testing, you know, where dross is consumed, gold is refined. I'll never forget the conversation that I heard on a podcast. It was before podcast, but it would be a podcast now. It was years ago. And it was a conversation between Mark Dever, uh, the pastor up in Washington, D.C., that's a really strong pastor. Uh, his group is ninemarks.org that's done a lot of good help in 
uh, health for churches and things. It was a conversation between him and John MacArthur, uh, the famous pastor of the Bible, the MacArthur Study Bible and that from California, who's had a lifetime of wonderful ministry for conservative Bible-believing churches and things. And MacArthur was talking about some trouble he had in his church, same church he pastors now, at about the seven-year mark. Uh, and I happened to be listening to this talk at about a time I was at my previous church in about the seventh year or so of service. I'd served four years as a youth pastor. I was on staff three then as pastor and stuff. And so I particularly perked up, you know. Uh, and MacArthur said something very profound. He said the things that we would never bring into our own life, misunderstandings with people, things that have to be worked out, you know, uh, you know, things teachers and coaches and pastors or whatever have to work through business people, you know. Um, we would never bring them into our own life. We would push away and not have any conflicts, any things like that that are hard to deal with, he says. But God uses those as he, as he brings them into our lives, allows them to come in. He uses those to grow us in ways we would never invite for ourselves, right? And I know that's true for my days as an athlete. <laughs> I would never have done the running unless the coach made me. I hated it. I don't see why anybody does cross-country. I admire those that do. But there had to be a ball involved if I was going to play it, you know. And I don't know if I've ever told you guys this story. I may have, but, I mean, I was a turkey, you know, back in high school before knowing the Lord. Uh, so I was a good player, and by the time I was a uh, junior, senior, I was starting all the any game I wanted to and things, and that pretty much happened in college too. But um, we would um, – we would run for soccer practice and we would leave the stadium that we played the games in, the football. I don't know why we played in the football stadium because we had 200 people in there, you know, when games were for us and they'd have 2,000 for the football games, you know, uh, maybe more than that in Independence High School. So, but we'd run out of the stadium we were practicing and there was a set of woods and we'd run all the way around the woods and it would, it would, it would make like a, a, a rectangle all the way around the woods to the other side come back out and we'd come back about the place we went into the woods you know and I thought you know I don't like running a whole lot so I kind of got toward the end of the group running and as they would run around I would get here and I'd walk to the other side and meet the group up at the end there so I was running about half as the other guys now the main one I was cheating was myself there you know because I was also smoking at the time and doing other stuff you know so when the game when the games would come uh, there'd be a time in there I'd be just exhausted and bent over <laughs> drooping, you know, and it was a little bit easier in those days. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, when the coach found out about that, he put a stop to it, you know, after I did some wind sprints and some hills and things too and that sort of thing. And that helped me be ready for the later moments in the games before we get to playoffs. And so, in essence, I'm thankful for the discipline and thankful for that correction because uh, it helped me, you know. And John MacArthur was telling Mark Dever, we'd never do that to ourselves. We never bring hard things in our life, things that are unpleasant to deal with. But each one makes us a better person, a better Christian, a better leader as for what God has for us. So David says, examine me, prove me, try my mind and heart. It's like gold being purified in fire. Uh, and the second kind of word there, trying, the scrutinizing on the other side of the purifying to see if it's pure. So first you put the gold through the fire, the dross gets consumed, the gold gets refined, there's a, a testing going on there. And then there's a looking to see, uh, and you know how gold is pure, right? How, how, does the, how does the one working with gold know it's getting close to where it needs to be? 
when they can look and see the reflection in it, right? They know that the dross is being consumed, the impure is being taken out for the pure that's left. So David's doing something like that here as he's submitting a case to the Lord. He goes from vindicate me because I'm, I'm not guilty in this particular matter to saying, but use this time, Lord. Use this time to examine me and try me. I think of uh, one of the great verses we're going to come up to, you know, search my heart, Lord, try me, examine me, see if there's any impure way in me. Well, verses 3 through 8, right there in the middle, David makes the case for his innocence and right behavior. So in these verses, David makes clear he's avoided both sins of omission and sins of commission. What is a sin of omission? Anybody help me out? Why do we, when we speak of a sin of omission, what are we talking about? Didn't do something you're supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. You're supposed to do it, but you omit it. That's why it's called a sin of omission. Uh, and then what's a sin of commission? You did something you weren't supposed to do. So you got both those problems there, not doing what you're supposed to, doing what you're not supposed to and those type things. Uh, so now we know that wasn't always true in David's life. David's life, there was sin in David's life uh, with the matter of Bathsheba, the matter of Uriah and those things. So we can't take Psalm 26 and uh, make it mean David's protesting that he never sins. That, that's just not how you look at these psalms. And I hope we don't get any other lesson during these weeks we see. We're going to see some of these cases where he's obviously talking about a matter at hand, just like we have uh, before the Lord. I love verse 3. I mentioned it a while ago. Your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I've walked in your truth. And if you have the ESV, it's going to say steadfast love where it says loving kindness. If you have the Holman, it's going to say faithful love there. The King James and the New King James take that word chesed, H-E-S-E-D, and they're all over the place with it. Mercy, loving kindness. Uh, one Jewish author that I saw translate that word always uses grace instead, which makes you think of how Jesus is full of grace and truth. I think he's got he's on to something there that a close thought for us would be God talking about grace. Um, and then uh, the word emet is for truth. So there's our two words again. And I told you, in places like Proverbs where it says, think of yourself as putting kindness and truth around your neck, it's kesed and emet, grace and truth around your neck. It's being defining of you. You're a gracious person. You're a person of truth. And look how he says it. Y'all might want to memorize this verse, put it on a three-by-five card and have it with you during the week. Or however you memorize scripture, that's still kind of how I do it. If I see a verse that energizes me, I'll write the verse out on one side and the reference on the other, and I'll just take some time each week to look at verses, and I'll, oh, uh, Proverbs 26.3, oh yeah, yeah, that's, wait, that's that one uh, about God's loving kindness being before my eyes, and then I walk in your truth. Um, so think about that as a guiding verse for you. Your loving kindness is before my eyes. Man, God, I'm thinking about your grace and I'm going to walk in your truth. Man, if just the rest of the week we kept God's grace before our eyes, what a gracious and good God he is. Loving kindness, his faithful love, his steadfast love. That's what's before my eyes in a world that there's a lot of other things that can be before your eyes. And I'm going to walk in your truth. I just love that verse. Isn't that a great one? So then he gives specific examples of what he's trying not to do and what he probably had achieved in not doing because he got to set his own calendar as the king. In verse 4 he says, I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor will I go in with hypocrites. Um, 
I don't spend time with idolaters and hypocrites. Um, that's a good commitment to make, right? What does the New Testament say? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows will he reap. It says that. It also says what about bad company? Yeah, bad company corrupts good character, corrupts good morals. And so we do want to win the world to Christ, which means not going out of the world, being in the world. But, you know, when Jesus sent his disciples out to minister, how did he send them out? Two by two. Um, and uh, how did Paul often minister? As a team, you know, he'd have ones with him, ones sending, coming, going, and those type things. And, man, we want to avoid being isolated, you know, both in our own television viewing, time on the Internet, time with people. Uh, you know, uh, every once in a while I'll run into a zealous Christian and they have a great heart and they're new in Christ. And they say, man, guess what I did, Danny? I went right into the bar I used to go into and sat right at the stool next to the fella and I was talking to them about Jesus and their friends. And, and it may go well for them a time or two. But, man, you don't want to be in that habit of going in there alone. Because sometimes you'll go in there and somebody will have a sharp answer for you, whatever, and the devil will get on you and you'll wind up drinking again and going down that, that, that rabbit hole again of addiction and stuff. Um, so uh, Jesus uh, sent us out two by two. We're, you know, sometimes it's only us, the parable of the Good Samaritan. We've got to meet that need there. But the ordinary way of ministering and helping people is uh, two by two. And there's a lot of different examples of that. But uh, David says, I don't spend time intentionally with idolaters. Um, and I don't spend time with uh, hypocrites. He worships the one true God. Idolaters don't. He prioritizes obeying God, but hypocrites don't. And sometimes you guys have had to do it. I've had to do it. You know, there's somebody I love, but I've had to block them on Facebook. I'm still going to pray for them, but I've had to block them on Facebook. Uh, they just, you know, all and and, and you know uh, that can happen within your own family. You know, you love them and you're there for them. But you just, man, you just can't have them dragging you down like that. Um, and those are hard things. Um, uh, he worships the one true God. Idolaters don't. He prioritizes obeying God. Hypocrites don't. David's not playing those games. And if you think David is a little being a little judgy here, remember that this was from David's prayer life as a kind of journal entry before it was a song to be sung. And so this is the way, this, this is the kind of, energy that should happen when we're praying about stuff. Lord, I love my old friend from high school, and it's neat that we're finally back in connection again. But something happens when it's just him and me talking, man. I turn into dumb old Danny, you know, dumb pre-Christ Danny and stuff, and he's influencing me more than I'm influencing him, you know. And so these are the kind of things we're supposed to wrestle with in prayer. Lord, I, I love them. But, you know, I'm finding myself uh, being drugged back to a Danny I don't want to be, you know, or whatever it is like that. So David's doing this in his journal. And, and, you know, you look around at some of David's people. Man, he had some really godly people like Jonathan, but then Jonathan died. And one of the things that's very interesting is his relationship with his general Joab. Very complicated. Joab was a... Uh, a man that would do something great for Israel and then turn around and do something just wicked before the Lord, you know. And so some of this might have come from David's own prayer journal, you know. Uh, Lord, I'm trying to influence Joab, but old Joab has this, oh, he just frustrates me so much. But yeah, he, he took out a situation I needed taken care of, but man, he did it in the flesh, you know, and those type things. And then sometimes David sent Joab out to do something in the flesh, you know, like he did when he sent him out and Uriah died. 
Um, so I don't know about you. I don't know if anybody here keeps a prayer journal. I've never been able to do that. I do write a lot of things here and I put my thoughts together and I have a lot of vigorous prayer time with the Lord. I wish I had kept a journal all the way through. Elizabeth's been a little bit better about that. And I know that's a spiritual discipline that's helped a lot of people. But I do know if I had kept a journal all the way through, I wouldn't want them to be songs sung by the entire nation. You know? And so thank God that what David's wrestling with in prayer becomes a song they sang in part to recognize how sometimes it's tough when you got people that want you to do things you don't want them to do. And you've got to sing about making the commitment. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to run with them anymore or them anymore. Um, I'm going to try to be different for the Lord. So this is one of the reasons I think these psalms resonate with us, because we've all thought like this and prayed like this. So here's your next fill in the blank. David isn't so much reminding God here as he's reminding himself, or at least that's how it appears from my study, not to look for godless alternatives to faith during a difficult time. Next Sunday is Mother's Day. Oh, it's going to be a great day as we celebrate our mothers. Probably sad, too, as we think about any mothers that have gone on to be with the Lord. It's always a bittersweet time for some as they think about, you know, my mom, man, she's a piece of work, you know. Uh, but we're pieces of work, right? So we want to honor everything we can. Uh, for some of our folks that were adopted, it's tough because they're like, well, I never knew my mom but you can at least be glad that she gave you a birth and stuff. But the reason I bring up next Sunday, we're, we're here on May 7th, that's going to be May 14th. What happens the very next day in our beloved Danville? The casino opens. The casino opens. The casino opens. And we don't even know what all's about to hit us and how it's going to change the moral character of the city and all the extra people that are going to need ministering to. For many people, they're saying, oh, it's wonderful, it'll help us with tax revenue, and it'll be good, clean, fun, and this will happen, that'll happen. I don't know how many of you were able to go to the rally we had with the Stop Predatory Gambling fellow when he was here, but he said all around the country we're able to look at the uh, dynamics for a place that opens a casino. And we know your demographics for Danville. The average loser in your Danville Casino is going to be a single mom, many of them African-American, who can least afford to lose their money there. They need to be saving it and investing it, and they're just hoping, desperate for help with all the different things that aren't taken care of, and they're going to go in there and lose and lose and lose. And I don't play when it comes to these things, you know, because as a pastor I've seen the heartache that addictions cause and they're going to take 15% or so of that revenue from the casinos right off the top, and they're going to put it into a fund because they recognize for every, you know, for every certain number of gamblers, not many, but every certain number of gamblers, somebody's going to turn into an addict. And there will be those that, oh, it's no big deal, and they'll do a little bit here and a little bit there. Um, but it'll be a moral rot on us no matter whether you ever win anything or not, you know. And, uh, and, and it's also just flat out true that, when for you to win at gambling, somebody else has to lose. The house is always going to win, but for you to win, somebody else has to lose. Well, you say, Danny, that's true when you played sports. Yeah, but we all won because we all got exercise, right? We all did something that was helping us. We were learning about being on a team. We were learning about we were getting exercise. We were out there accomplishing, setting and accomplishing goals. 
We played for some good coaches. We played for some bad coaches. These were character-developing experiences. Gambling, they sit you in a dark room, get you disoriented all kinds of time. They give you a car to have you gamble. If you're the kind of person that gambles for 45 minutes and then goes home, then at the 30-minute mark, they're going to give you a complimentary drink, so you'll stay a little bit longer that way. If you're the kind of person that their records show gambles for six hours and then goes home, they're going to give you a complimentary stay in the night, you know, that sort of thing. They're going to do other things to make you think this is the biggest, the greatest thing for Danville, like hosting big concerts that everybody wants to go to and stuff. But uh, David says, I don't run with hypocrites. I don't run with idolaters. I'm staying away from it. So don't go there and blow your money. Look at verse 5. It's still right in this same vein. He says, I have hated the assembly of evildoers, and I don't sit with the wicked. So again, he's saying, I'm not going to run with those people that leave God out. Israel had its ways to worship Yahweh. It also had its high places where idolatry happened. And David said, no, nah, I'm not going there. Look at verse 6. Instead of that, I'm going to wash my hands in innocence, so I will go about your altar, O Lord. So what's he saying here? Instead of going to the wrong kind of places, I'm going to the tabernacle and offering a sacrifice and seeking God's face and being with people, going there instead of sinful places. Well, what are you going to do when you get there, David? Verse 7. <laughs> when I get there, I'm going to proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of your wonderful works. And sometimes we just need to go to church, don't we? And share the ways God has met us. Uh, I believe, yeah, I hope you see it on these Sundays and Wednesday nights when I'm in a smaller group and throughout our smaller groups and our Sunday school classes. I believe there ought to just be a few minutes to share about neat stuff God's doing, you know. Because, uh, uh, man, when, you know, when Gary just went to Africa and, uh, man, he was able to, Build them a computer lab. There's going to be some smart girls. Maybe a future prime minister of Kenya come out of that group. Uh, they've got a successful plan, you know, to help girls uh, uh, get to have a much brighter future. He was able to give them some clothes, and some of you went shopping and brought those clothes in. First down for Jesus, right? Uh, and this morning we heard about another way in our own area to help people that have struggled with alcohol and drugs. And, you know, so both at the church when we gather and throughout the week as we scatter, Man, just great things like that are happening. David says, I'm going to proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of your wonderful works. And uh, sometimes you've had an awful week. You thought, man, I don't know if we're accomplishing anything. I don't know if we're making a difference at all. And you go to church and you're like, well, gosh, um, I gave that outfit. Gary gave it over there. And look what's happening, you know, so... I didn't even know all that was happening, you know? And then the preacher says, yeah, you regularly give, and we don't even know all the things that happen through our Southern Baptist Cooperative Program giving. We try to tell you, you know, but there's more out there than we can tell. And then you hear about stuff happening also through a ministry we support, uh, you know, somewhere here in the States or around the world. It's pretty neat, pretty neat. Verse 8. He brings this all together in a beautiful exclamation in verse 8. Lord... I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. I know enough of you to know you feel like that about gathering with other believers. I hope you feel that way when you go to church. Sometimes we don't feel like gathering with other believers. Um, some weeks we get more out of it than other weeks. You know, but sometimes we have a statement. You probably, I bet you there's somebody in here, maybe with this written in the front of your Bible. Uh, 
I used to do this. I, there's different things. When people ask me to write in their Bible, I'll put different things in there. But one of the things I put in there before, maybe somebody put it in your Bible and you got it here tonight. Remember that saying? This book will keep you from sin. But beware, sin will keep you from this book, right? And that's true of the Word of God, the Bible as we read it. But it's also true, we could say it about the church, couldn't we? Uh, this place will keep you from sin, but sin will also keep you from this place, you know? And so we need to gather. Well, verses 9 through 12, David makes clear he's going to stay on God's team. So you see what's happening here. He's having kind of a stinky time. He asks for vindication from the Lord. He asks for God to bring some good out of this. And then he goes into, you know, some of the ways. And then he, these last verses, they're, they're a little bit of a mixture. But one of the things that's clear there is David is, makes it clear he's staying on God's team. So look at verses 9 and 10. Do not gather my soul with sinners. Don't, don't trade me to the Dallas Cowboys. I want to stay on the right team. Do not gather my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands is a sinister scheme and whose right hand is full of bribes. So what's he saying here? Keep me away from where those determined to sin gather, where often even violent men gather who hate people like me. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to switch teams, you know, uh, during a difficult season. And uh, it's kind of neat, isn't it? We, we sense some good things happening for the Church of the Living Christ uh, here in America coming out of the pandemic. We're just at that point where so many neat things are happening in our churches and other churches and things. Uh, but some of that was a gut check, and not everybody is... It, some of our folks are AWOL, right? Some of the folks that were going to church before the pandemic said, you know what? Uh, I don't know if I believe that stuff anymore. I don't know if I want to gather with others anymore, you know? And... And um, it's been a gut check for America. Times of sifting are. I love the times of Israel, right? Uh, Elijah's, oh God, nobody else is, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. There's nobody like me. And God says, suck it up, buttercup. There's still 7,000 who haven't bowed their knee to Baal, you know. Uh, there's a lot of Baal preachers out there. There's a lot of people serving Baal. He says, but there's still 7,000. Now that seems like a low number, but what God does is he refines his church. He refines his people and the dross gets uh, consumed. The gold gets refined. And then um, that is appealing to those who need Christ. And hopefully uh, it'll mean others that need to come back uh, in, you know, into regular worship will. All the stats look really bad for the church in America like that, you know, uh, uh, you know, as far as less people coming to church than having a very long time, less people believing in God than having a very long time. The younger the generations get, the less likely they are to have any interest whatsoever in Christianity. Uh, so all those things. And, you know, I don't know if this was a time of idolatry. David's pointing out in America here. He is concerned. I mean, in Israel, he is concerned about people going to the high places. And so he's already said that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And he's just repledging. And sometimes we just need to say, we're still there. Um, I love my father-in-law and mother-in-law. They're in their 80s, and it's really hard sometimes to get to church. But Norman says, I'm going to keep on going as long as I can, if nothing else, just to show the neighbors whose side we're on. You know? <laughs> and so David's saying that here. Lord, keep me out of the place where sinners gather. I want to be with your people. I want to win people I interact with Jesus, not get caught up in the sinful practices of those who refuse to repent. Verse 11, As for me, I will walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be merciful to me. So David kind of brings it around to him. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. 
And then he gets to that last verse, verse 12. My foot stands in an even place. In the congregations I will bless the Lord. So there he is. He doesn't make blessing the Lord conditional on his circumstances going his way. He resolves to bless the Lord anyway. He says, I've got my foothold down here in the Lord. And even though the storms come, I'm going to bless the Lord continually. His praise will be on my mouth. And I like this because in this psalm, David takes it from not only want to make sure he keeps his own nose clean by not going to where bad things happen. Man, he wants to get to where good things are happening, God things, and keep on going with those. And it's really neat. Um, if you came to uh, Pat Harper's graveside service, I mentioned that uh, about a month ago now, I was over at uh, the Harper's house. And Dan knew that I was a graduate of William Jennings Bryan College. And he gave me this little volume of 10 books. And um, it was the great speeches of world history narrated by William Jennings Bryan. So I started going through it. It's just one speech at a time, and it's fascinating what I'm reading about. From the, I'm not into the, I'm still in BC, you know. Um, and as I read a six to eight page speech at a time, I came across this one, I think it's in your notes there, by Nicias. Here's what Nicias said. Good government consists in this, for a man to do his country as much good as possible, or at least to do it invariably no harm. <laughs> and I got tickled by that because uh, I think about Pat Harper, you know, that we just did the funeral for. Pat didn't give much trouble, did she? She didn't do any harm. You know, she, was not, she, she was not one that uh, messed up things around her very much. She's a tremendous woman of faith, you know. Um, but she wasn't just trying to get through life without getting into trouble. She was trying to do positive things for the Lord that would advance the kingdom of God here on earth. And so Nicias said, uh, at least stay out of harm. Don't, don't be a negative to your country. But what you ought to do, do your country as much good as possible. And that's what I thought. You know, not only did she not do the negative things, she did the kind of things that would lift up the Lord Jesus and point people toward him. And many people did uh, come to him. I asked people at the funeral to stand, you know, if uh, she'd ever talked with them about the things of the faith. And, you know, pretty much three quarters of the uh, congregation stood there because she had. So David, I love this little psalm. He basically will bring it uh, to a close with, make sure your resolve is to bless the Lord even if your trials continue longer than you hoped they would. Make that your resolve like David did here. Um, uh, to take things that you need to take to the Lord even when they concern you and you feel like you're getting a raw deal in some way through the gossipy words of others or something going on uh, to uh, you know, make sure you're resolved not to during times of struggle turn to things that are sinful or places people go that mess people up but instead to keep on uniting with other believers that are serving the Lord and make sure your voice is heard among the testimonies uh, that are happening there. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about the Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.